The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This is nice. I'll move forward. I haven't been here for a while. So my name's Chris Clifford, and uh, I've been here a few times, but not recently. I've been practicing for about 15 years and uh, here, and uh, I used to be a software engineer. These days I'm pretty much a full-time volunteer. I volunteer teaching English in East Palo Alto, and uh, I spend about half the year in New Mexico managing retreats for a group in New Mexico. I've just got back from that. so It's nice to be here. I wanted to uh, offer some thoughts this morning on a term from the suttas that's often associated with mindfulness and the term is clear comprehension I understand from Andrea that she has maybe a little bit of a series going on here on the five faculties which are confidence, effort, mindfulness concentration and wisdom so uh, maybe you've been discussing faith and effort or energy the last couple weeks so I want to talk about mindfulness but in terms of this quality of clear comprehension or clear knowing as it's also translated it's part of the definition uh, of mindfulness in the Buddha's discourse on the four foundations and it's often used in conjunction with it as a kind of compound later. So the word is, in Pali, it's sampajana. And uh, the, it's the root of to know and this, this uh, prefix that means sort of extra or it's a little emphatic prefix. So to really know, to clearly know, and to fully know. So this is an important part of our sitting practice, but in an expanded sense, it's really central to our daily life practice, this clear comprehension. Um, and I'll talk about the factors that apply in daily life and, and in sitting in many ways. So when we describe mindfulness, we often emphasize this aspect of bare attention, where the non-discursive, not commenting, not judging, just receiving what's happening moment after moment. And, of course, that is our basic practice, to intend to do that. Um, Just, you know, pressure, hearing, thinking, feeling, just things as they go along. And this way of letting the mind settle into that kind of bare attention, it is the road to insight, to drop our interpretation of what's happening and just get as close to reality as we can. But um, a profound aspect of the Buddha's understanding that's confirmed by cognitive science these days is that the process of perception of what's happening in the present is always being influenced by history in some way in the form of habits of where our attention goes what we pick out of the flow of what's happening our memories of our pattern matching tendency to notice what's happening in terms of what we've seen before and whatever kinds of goals and intentions and needs and fears happen to be up for us in the moment heavily influence what we pay attention to and then we have these deep unconscious beliefs and assumptions about reality that shape our paying attention so the definition of mindfulness from this is the 
the Buddha's discourse on mindfulness called the Satipatthana Sutta, which you might have heard of. Uh, It's the four foundations of mindfulness. The direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of suffering and discontent, for acquiring the true method for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. So those four are the body, the feeling tone of experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, our mind states, what's going on at the moment, are we caught up in anger, wanting, or are we feeling happy or bored, or what are we feeling? And then the fourth foundation is called dhammas, and really I like to think of it as the useful ways of looking at the process of the mind. So this is where we we can actually learn to pay attention to the Four Noble Truths. We can learn to recognize the hindrances to paying attention. We learn to recognize whether we're concentrated or not. So it's starting to see our experience in terms of the Dharma. So those are the four foundations of mindfulness. And for each one, the definition here, he says, for example, body. In regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. And then he repeats that same formula for each of the four. So diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful. The word for mindful, sati, it basically means remembering or recollecting. And diligence has to do with using appropriate effort and trying to develop a continuity of this practice. So in a way that inclines toward continuity, we keep remembering to pay to be clearly knowing of what's happening in each moment. So this definition is not so much a definition of the word mindfulness, but rather of what it means to practice mindfulness, to keep those three, uh, the cooperation of those aspects of energy and remembering and clear knowing in mind. So knowing, then the rest of the sutta, it goes through in quite a bit of detail for each of those four foundations, the instructions to know. So for the, for the breath, um, breathing in, he knows, I breathe in long. Breathing out long, he knows, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he knows, I breathe in short. So throughout this whole sutta, it's just knowing. It's knowing if this quality is present or if that quality is present, knowing if this is happening. And that's that same root that comes in clear knowing. So um, this faculty of knowing is just really fascinating to me. It's, it's the essential mystery of existence. Is how, how do we know? What is it to be conscious beings? You know? So there's two aspects to knowing that, are, that I found really valuable to tune into in the practice. One is just becoming aware of the fact that we're knowing, uh, the fact that we can know what's happening as quite a miraculous essence of existence in a way. Um, and then the other aspect is the aspect of discernment, what we know. So... Um, 
There's really a clear discernment that's possibly going on all the time from one state to another. We know when we're breathing, we can simply know breathing in and breathing out. And in fact, that's a a simple foundational practice that I've been returning to recently is to just simply connect with the fact that I know that I'm breathing in or breathing out. That's very steadying. It's simple. There's nothing to it. It brings that, that, uh, that faculty of knowing into the foreground and it keeps us connected. So as the practice progresses, this refinement of discernment is what gives rise to insight and wisdom. So we can know, is it unpleasant or pleasant? what we're experiencing. We, we know whether we're want in a state of wanting or in a state of contentment. We know whether we're in a state of clinging to something or whether we're letting things go by. And so um, this discernment is what really leads to wisdom. So it's, it's sometimes tempting in our sitting practice to just take the time to simply relax. And we sit down and we start following our breath and we get into a state that's just a little bit spaced out and we're not really, you know, it's pleasant. It's a kind of half-dreamy, half-daydreaming, relaxing. It's, it's, very, it's very pleasant, it's very vague. And we can spend a lot of time practicing like that. And that is not really the optimum way to develop wisdom. What we want to be doing is clearly discerning what's happening moment to moment without getting tense and tight around it. So, because if we, if we aren't working toward being able to clearly recognize, oh, this is how suffering is coming up right in this moment because I, I fell into that chain of thinking, I started believing it, I started worrying about it. We didn't see that happen. Or we didn't see that a noise went by and it was irritating and it took me off onto a whole thought about how they should remodel the building. And so if we're not noticing clearly what's happening moment to moment, then we're really missing the wisdom, the, the, the aspect of practice that cultivates wisdom. So um, really coming to appreciate uh, the mind's ability to discern what's happening. And I also found that getting interested in the direct experience of knowing and of clarity has been really inspiring in my practice. It's made a big difference. It's two handles to kind of keep me connected to the real purpose of practice, which is to find freedom. So what is, what is the experience of clarity? You know, you can tune in in a moment. You can ask yourself, how clear am I feeling? And if you're not clear, it tends to be because there's something like sleepiness present. And you can notice that. Or maybe there's the mind is often just running around on a lot of different subjects, and it's hard to be clear about anything if you're going from one thought and then back, and that thought and then back. So it's part of the art of practice to find the level of focus, whether it's a wide focus or a narrow focus, that really allows you to be clear. And one of the fascinating things about clarity is that you can be clear that you're unclear. And that also brings, brings back this focus on knowing because, um, you know, you can look at a muddy pond and know that it's muddy, right? And you can, in the same way, you can be all over the place in your mind and if you have this ability to open a wider focus and say, what's happening right now is this all over the place experience. But you can clearly know that 
And in that knowing of that, that's, that's where, that's really the direction of the refuge uh, from suffering that's offered by this practice, is to, is to connect with the knowing of what's happening. It gives you that space around it when you can do that. And even if unclarity is what's happening, you can still know that clearly. So um, I find that in our sitting practice, this connecting with this aspect of clear knowing, it helps with balancing the effort. Because if you tend to over-effort, you know, try too hard, um, it's helpful to remember that knowing is always happening. We don't have to do anything to know. It's, it's, it just, you know, you couldn't, intentionally know if you tried I'm, I'm not talking about knowing information obviously but just simply being conscious and so whenever I'm caught up in trying too hard it's so helpful to remember that just what's happening all I have to do is know what's happening um, it's also helpful in, in a way that's leading to the insight into what's sometimes called not-self or that we aren't, there's not a little us inside here who's making everything happen apart from the flow of conditions that is happening. So you can, you can phrase it in the passive voice. So things are being known. So hearing is being known. And it takes the focus off of the I and it kind of puts the focus back on the mystery of, well, known, known by what? You know, known by this faculty of knowing. Knowing knows. You know, it's not, I don't have to do anything to know. Knowing knows. And when I tune into that clearly, I'm tuning into the, the selfless nature of experience. And I'm sharpening up the clarity. And I'm relaxing the effort because I don't have to do anything other than know what I know at the moment. Know what's being known. And on the other hand, uh, as I said earlier, with this tendency to space out and not apply enough effort, we can tune in to more precise discernment of what's happening. There's a description of mindfulness that I like where the mind is just... When you're mindful, it's like a stone in a river that sinks to the bottom. And when you're not being mindful, the mind is like a pumpkin, a hollow pumpkin that floats away on the current. So... I think this current metaphor is really helpful to me because I often feel that the mind is simply being swept away by different things. And when I can really tune in with that clarity, then it has a chance to kind of get beneath one level of waves and then see sort of what currents are going on beneath that. So, um, in our daily life, our practice in daily life, it's not very realistic to think that we're going to stay focused on bare attention all the time, you know, just uh, watching impulses to act arise and pass. We have to do things. We have purposes in life. We have to go about them. We have lots of interaction. Um, so one of the practices that's mentioned in the sutta that's kind of a, a, a transition is the section on, mo- on bodily movement, which is also the other section where this term clear knowing is used in the sutta. So he says, when going forward and returning, he acts clearly knowing. When looking ahead and looking away, he acts clearly knowing. When flexing and extending his limbs, he acts clearly knowing. 
When wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl, he acts clearly knowing. This is oriented toward monks. When eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, he acts clearly knowing. When defecating and urinating, he acts clearly knowing. When walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent, he acts clearly knowing. So everything we do, we can bring this quality, a quality of clear attention that can have this very wide open focus to it. Being able to do just that staying right with the movement is one of the joys of of retreat practice for me and out of that I bring it into any time of the day when I'm doing something where I can just drop into it like a movement practice like yoga or something or doing housework or gardening you know just being having the mind and the body moving together in a coordinated way it's a great a great uh, a very joyful experience so the commentaries to the sutta expand on what clear comprehension means and they identify it as related to four aspects. The purpose, the suitability, uh, the domain, or literally what they call the pasture, which I'll explain, and the aspect of non-delusion or connection with reality. So uh, these four aspects, what am I doing, how am I doing it, and where is my attention and how much am I bringing whatever wisdom I have to bear on the situation? We can use that all the time. Whenever we wake up in the middle of a formal sitting or in daily life, we find ourselves caught up in some kind of reactivity. We can step back and take this very wide focus. We can reconnect with our purpose. We can check in with the suitability of how the means that we're using for this. We can return our focus to something within the four foundations of mindfulness. And we can try to tune in to uh, what beliefs or attitudes, how much of our self, how much self-image maintenance is involved in what we're doing right now versus some purpose that's more connected to, uh, to wisdom. So it's really useful when we do wake up to really make the effort to come into a full stop to a full landing at a state of clear comprehension. So if we use our sitting practice to get familiar with what it means to be clearly connected, then during the day when we have a chance to wake up, we can really try to try to come all the way, you know, not just, oh yeah, yeah, I'm kind of here, but really just solidly connect for a moment with where you are. How clear are you? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Okay. So honestly, we're usually thinking and evaluating what we're doing all day long, right? We're, not, we're always planning what we're doing and we're kind of strategizing how we're going to go about doing it. So you can bring your practice in. We're, we're not really trying to develop blank minds that just go about automatically, you know, touching, sensing all the time. But we're trying to bring wisdom into the way our mind works so that when we're evaluating and deciding what to do, we're deciding on the basis of wisdom. So we replace most of our our commentary and our strategies of what we're doing are usually based around, kind of often based around self-image maintenance. You know, how's it going to look if I do this? Or how am I going to feel about myself if I do that? And and then, or we're strategizing really how to make things permanent in an impermanent world. We're strategizing how can I hang on to these things? How can I be safe? How can I make sure that these bad things never happen? 
So instead of putting so much emphasis on that, if we recollect our purpose and our, our understanding of the Dharma, anything that happens is an opportunity to say, well, okay, so something is changing here, and the teaching is, how can I learn to live with what's changing? You know, there's something happening that's impacting my self-image. What would it mean to let go of that self-image instead of to run around making excuses or blaming or trying to patch it up in some way? So these four aspects. So purpose. um, It's really wonderful to have waking up as your fundamental purpose in your life. It's part of what's happened to me over the last few years is that it's sort of like cream rising. This is this has risen to the top of all other purposes that I might have in life. And so instead of instead of practice, I started out practicing in order to be able to work. You know, my work life wasn't going so well, I was stressed out. So I was looking for stress reduction so that I can do a better job at work. You know, and it's it's really turned around now so that if I work, it, I, I'm working in order to, well, survive so that I can keep practicing and so that everything that happens is just got a context for being understood. And it's understood in a way that since it connects to this clear knowing, my, it's so joyful to think that my purpose in life is something that I can't really fail at if I remember what it is. You know, because it's just to know what's happening. And I can know what's happening. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I have great faith that this purpose is on, and I've seen, you know, in a verified way that this purpose leads to greater and greater peace of mind and happiness. So, as I see that this works, this purpose is rising to the top of all other agendas. And then whatever happens... You know, it's if it's a difficult person, it's an opportunity to see, okay, you know, the, this is an opportunity for compassion practice and for... There's always some aspect of the practice, patience, compassion, you know, just simply clear-seeing, truth-telling that comes to the fore in any circumstance. And then um, it keeps the mind and heart connection alive. There's a <clears throat> there's this word diligence. Uh, elsewhere, it's translated as ardency, which I kind of like because to me that brings in that quality that this is a practice that I'm in that my heart is in, and so keeping this purpose in mind keeps the heart connection open. And then it's also important to connect to the purpose of the specific activity that you're doing at the moment. So, and your motive for doing it. One one under one another translation of this clear knowing is deliberate being especially that passage of acting he he how he how the monk moves all the time it emphasizes the word deliberate so are you moving in a way that's motivated by an actual purpose or are you being are you moving because you're bored or distracted or out of habit so why are you doing what you're doing um the second factor is suitability and really that's talking about the means so the purpose is the is the why you're doing it and the suitability is the means or the technique so in sitting we could look at the suitability of how we're practicing right now you know just moment to moment is it suitable to really be focusing tightly on the breath or is there something um, a more general sense of agitation going on that I should open my focus to Some commentary that I read about this section of the activities was talking about how the monks should move gracefully in a way that's inspiring to others to see them moving. And at first I was thinking, well, okay, you know, that 
moving gracefully. That's nice. But then I thought, well, why not? You know, I mean, why wouldn't you move gracefully? And it's kind of an interesting reflection to me. It's, it'd be because you're kind of not connected with it, really. You know, you're, you've got two things going on at once. So I started watching how I was moving around the kitchen. Well, I'm hurrying, you know. My attention is still half at the sink, and I realize I've forgotten the, some ingredient. And so I'm kind of awkwardly reaching over to that ingredient while still half over here. And it's that kind of lack of clear one-at-a-time connection with what's happening that leads to a kind of jerky, awkward sense of moving. Or it's habitual tensions in the body, habitual ways that we just don't pay attention. Or we're so much in our heads that we're kind of leaning forward all the time. And you know, So, so it's interesting to watch what's, what's the feeling of moving gracefully. And if that seems like too much trouble, well, why? You know, what, what, what else would you rather do? How, you know, what, in what way are you distracted? I like the question, where am I coming from? Meaning, you know, what kind of, uh, physically, where am I coming from? Am I coming from a grounded, centered place? Or am I coming from a kind of finicky, hurried, up-in-my-head place? So skillful means, uh, yeah, I was going to say, a funny thing happened uh, quite recently. I was driving my car, and I was caught up in an unpleasant, obsessive thought. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be really mindful. And so I was going to be mindful of driving. And so I was feeling my hands on the wheel, turning the wheel, feeling a little pressure of my foot. Drove right by my exit, right? <laughs> so this, <laughs> this, is what's, this is the clear comprehension aspect of mindfulness, of bearing the purpose in mind and having the practice being suitable for that level of practice. So the third factor is the pasture, which is... Uh, the domain of mindfulness. And that basically means keeping a connection with the internal state of your body and your heart and your mind. That's the pasture. And another way of, an important way of understanding the pasture is that you're not caught up. There's such a difference. I don't know if you've been able to really clearly tune into this, but just the difference between knowing that you know that that you're here in the present moment and just being completely lost in a world of thought about the past or the present. It's such a remarkable difference. And just tuning in to that, that world where you're just picturing, a, it's a little, little dreamlet going on in the middle of the day where you're picturing a different room and different people and you're having a conversation with them. And you're, you're so into that that you drive right by your exit or whatever it is, but you, you drive right by your whole life that way for the most part. So knowing the difference between being in a little bubble world and being really connected with the fact even if that's still there you can see it and you're outside of it so it's that stepping back so in a way it's like a pasture with black holes in it that's one way of thinking about my mind (laughs) and the pasture is kind of being up there where i where i'm i'm on level ground and i know what's happening or am i am i falling down in these little holes of picturing or falling off the edge into the past or the future and picturing what's going on you can always ask yourself, how can I be mindful right now? What, it, what is it that's calling, that needs mindfulness right now? And if it's not so simple to just check in, just feel your body, just, you know, first may I go for just feel your feet on the floor, feel your bottom on the chair, feel the breath. And if for some reason you can't, no, no, you know, can't do that. 
well, what's the deal with that? <laughs> can't, can't do that. What do you mean? You know, so what, what else is going on? What is the real agi- sense of agitation that's going on in your mind? Where is your mind? So you can always kind of play with what is it that, where's the right focus for mindfulness in this moment? So the fourth aspect is called non-delusion. Um... You know, we have a lot of wisdom, and the more we hang around the Dharma, the more wisdom we have, and the more understanding we have of how things are not really the way we've, the culture teaches us to think. You know, it's, it's, it's not so wise to always spend our time trying to figure out how to keep things perfect and safe, and how much more insurance can I buy, and, you know... You can really get into worrying about how, what if this happened, how can I prevent that from happening, or, or, or how to acquire things and how to you know, fix up your perfect house. So we know that that's not wisdom, and yet we still all get caught up in those things from time to time. But having this wisdom, you can really bring it into your thinking process. So mindfulness is more than this just bare attention. It's really working its way into your thinking process so that you are evaluating what's going on in terms of wisdom. And the, the, the chief aspects of wisdom is not identifying. So notice, beginning to notice this amazing point of view where we, are, we don't need to be completely defined by what we're thinking or feeling in the moment. But more and more our sense of being shifts to this power of knowing and to the simple ability to know what happens. And in that way, it's simply what's happening. So, um, I was having this experience the other day where I, I tend to snack in the evening, and I was really wanting to not do that the other day. And so I was noticing, you know, a picture of some food I had in the fridge came to mind. And the feeling of that I have to have this came over me. But I was really determined <laughs> that I wasn't going to do it. And so I was just noticing, okay, so there's this feeling. What is this feeling? And the entire situation shifted. I noticed that this feeling was tied very closely to the belief that the feeling means I want this food. And therefore that the feeling would be satisfied by getting this food. But it was really that connection with this feeling means this is the feeling of needing that food or wanting that food. And when I separated those two into it's just a feeling and then there's a the thought about the food and what is the feeling if it doesn't mean I need to have that food? And then just really tuning into the particular sensations in the, you know, watching the mouth was involved and the throat and the belly and the whole digestive tract had its little, you know, stuff going on. But just seeing it in those terms and really clearly identifying, oh, this is, now it's here, now it's there, now it's there. And I held on intentionally to the belief that it has nothing to do with wanting that food. And it just became interesting in itself. And it was that moment, it's like, it's been described as like when a leaf falls off a tree. It's just that little boonk, that disconnection of the, of the belief and the feeling. It was so freeing. It was just quite interesting. It was like watching a movie, you know, and I lost all interest in the food to just watch the... Uh, the feeling. So starting to take apart the way things are glommed together into and taking them apart into the physical feeling and the thoughts that go with it. And just either one is kind of manageable by itself. You know, the thought 
the thought, if you're worried about something in the future, the thought wouldn't be so bad if you didn't have that horrible grinding feeling in your stomach, right? And if, if you didn't have the thought, the grinding feeling in your stomach might just be a little indigestion or a little, I don't know, something you ate. It wouldn't be a big deal. But it's when those two come together that you're suddenly, you, th- you, you really are identified with the worry. That's what produces worry. So if you can learn to take those two apart. Um, so taking things apart like that, not identifying, not thinking that it has to do with you, that everything is about you, um, not clinging, learning to expect change. And that really means not pinning your hopes and dreams on any particular situation coming to pass, but rather on learning to be at ease with change. So it's gotten to where I'm really quite wary. If I, if I find myself thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be great to be in New Mexico next year, I always think, well, maybe, maybe it won't happen. You know, so I look at how much I'm, am I really investing? Oh, that's going to be so great. And, and there's a little wariness around investing than any particular thing. You know, what I'm really investing in is that I'll be okay either way because I can always practice. You know, if it happens, I can practice with whatever that is. If it doesn't happen, I can practice with whatever that is. So there's also a kind of wise interpretation that we can do. So... The other day I was, I, you know, I felt, found myself anxious. And so I said, okay, why am I anxious? And the answer that might come to mind, I was thinking about politics. So the answer that might come to mind, why are you anxious? Well, I'm anxious because this Tea Party thing has taken over America. You know, that's why I'm anxious. But the Dharmic explanation for why are you anxious is not that the Tea Party might take over America, but that you were surfing the Internet unmindfully. <laughs> You know, I mean, they might, but but what's make what's giving rise to the anxiety is reading this story, completely forgetting my mindfulness, going right into fantasies, self-righteous kind of fantasies about arguing with people, non-existent people, you know, because I was there in my study by myself, <laughs> imagining generalized people having generalized arguments about generalized subjects and getting very angry and self-righteous and anxious. and You know, that's why I'm anxious. It's because of the pattern of paying attention that I had just been through, not because of the subject matter, you know. And it's not to say that we don't decide that we want to engage politically and find a way to have a conversation with somebody, but that's a whole different wise purpose and suitable means thing that might happen at some point. But that is not why you were anxious in the moment. So this kind of wise interpretation of what's going on has been really helpful to me. So starting to bring back the causes of why I'm having difficult emotions right into the present attentional strategies that have given rise to them instead of you know, the, the theme or the subject matter of what's going on. So I find that when we can... Remember to bear these factors of clear comprehension in mind and navigate by them, that it fosters three qualities that are really important. It fosters integrity. It's kind of the meaning of integrity, is to be in touch with your purpose and know that your means are are serving your purpose at any moment. And it's also, it, it leads to a feeling of safety for me, true safety, because... Um, the wider, the more clear, the more, the farther I can see into my own mind in the moment, 
and be aware that I'm acting in a deliberate way and that there's enough space to notice what's happening, then I feel confident that I'm not about to be blindsided either by my own emotional reactivity or by the next thing someone says. You know, you can walk around life being so vulnerable to the next remark that someone makes or the next headline that your eye happens to catch in the newspaper as you walk by. You know, so, so it's a feeling of safety. It's, it's like walking around with a safety zone, knowing that you can see, because it's really your own reactivity that causes your own internal pain. And so knowing that you have some space around that. And it's also a feeling of safety for the future, because you know you're practicing a skill that's going to lead to feeling more safe from harm in the future. Oddly enough, I was recently struck by this in regard to something pleasant. It's one of those little moments where you see a tiny little thing that's almost hard to explain to people how significant it is to you, but I'm going to try it anyway. So I was sitting there and I was feeling um, just a really... Ple- it was kind of a half-meditating sitting in my, on my couch. And I was feeling a really pleasant feeling. And I don't usually... I'm usually working with unpleasant. And I, I do tend to kind of glom on to pleasant, you know, and, and go with it. And so I was, I had made an intention earlier that I was going to try to give equal time to really clearly connecting with the pleasant so that my practice was getting a little unbalanced because it was always about working with the negative and pretty much just saying, ha, ah, at last, and going with the pleasant, you know. And so trying to bring awareness to the present. And I had this um, unconscious belief that that would somehow be a kind of party-killing attitude you know, that it would make it not so much fun if I really paid attention to it. But to my amazement, it brought in this element of safety around it. And so I was feeling this pleasant feeling, and I said, okay, I'm going to be aware of this pleasant feeling. And immediately it dropped into really a more pleasant, a deeper sort of safe and contented feeling where, okay, this could come or go. And I I really saw clearly that extra effort that was involved in trying to kind of squeeze the most out of the pleasant or a little bit of fear that this was temporary and it wasn't going to last and what could I do to maintain it, you know, that good state of mind. And so just seeing that the connecting clearly with the pleasant, it brought that feeling of safety that, okay, it's safe to really just let this be pleasant and it can end. I'm not afraid it's going to end. So anyway, it's an interesting little little way in which uh, this feeling of safety comes about from clearly comprehending what's going on. And then the last thing is joy. Um, it's really, it's the meaning of joy really. It's just that clear, the clarity of that connection with what's happening, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, that non-identified, non-clinging, clear seeing of what's happening. Um, it's... Uh, Well, those are my thoughts on this subject, so uh, I'd love to hear what, what's your experience with clarity and knowing and daily life practice. Yeah. Uh, what was the, the first one? Uh, the second one was suitability. Purpose. Purpose. Purpose, suitability, the pasture or the domain, and the non-deluded, bringing wisdom into it. Yeah. Uh, I w- is this on? Yeah. Um, I was uh, appreciating uh, from the very beginning what you were saying about knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
sometimes, you know, you, you ask these questions of yourself, you know, what's the purpose? Why am I here? What's all, you know? Sometimes people will say, you know, what happens after you die? Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of big questions. Mm-hmm. But one th- when, when these big questions come up, what, I, what you validated for me was that, um, that this, the form that I'm in may be the only time that I might have consciousness mm-hmm. about my existence. Because mm-hmm. I don't know what happens when all these cells disintegrate and become part of everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, my brain is a part of everything, becomes, is now a part of everything else and will become a part of everything else. But right now I can know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't know if my cat can know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, resonating with what you're saying, it's like, yeah, okay, I, this may be the only time uh-huh. when these cells are organized in the way that they are, then I could know mm-hmm. that knowing is happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm just appreciating yeah. what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. I also find that by moving toward an appreciation of the knowing itself and then, and just knowing for its own sake, it also eases up some of the anxiety of clinging to, you know, what, you know, do I need to know that it's me? You know, <laughs> do I need to know, you know, it's not so much about the content. It's, and it, it becomes something that it's, it's actually easier. I mean, it's important, but you don't have to hang on to it e- either. It's a kind of beautiful, neutral sort of thing. And so it's easy. It's lovely to have it. But it isn't the sort of thing that you're very inclined to cling to either. So I don't know. I, there's just this process of kind of more and more appreciating the knowing instead of the content of the knowing that's, that helps me with some of those big questions too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love your metaphor about the cream rising to the top. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what your goal is. And I never thought of it as just knowing. Um, you know, you think of awakening as a big bomb blast of some sort. Um, so just knowing is really an important thing to be aware of. My metaphor was, well, it used to be a side dish for me, my, my practice, and now it's my whole yeah. life. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just a, a new, um, new at practicing, and, and um, I'm a... I'm in a family that um, where one sibling has just died Sunday, mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of fi- family dynamics that um, are really dragging me down mm-hmm. at the moment. And so your idea of safety in just knowing mm-hmm. and in, in the murkiness mm-hmm. um, was very, very nice to hear. Because I keep thinking there's something I could do to fix it or to to change the beliefs of others, you know, and, and um, or that maybe I could have prevented the death 
Um, you know, and it's yeah. not not um, rational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, last night I even turned off my phone just so I'd be safe from from the phone calls, from the unwanted, you know, the unwanted phone calls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just knowing that it's okay to be icky. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Right. It's, it's, it's a profoundly different relationship with what's happening than mm-hmm. struggling to make a change. It's just to, just to clearly see, just knowing, just knowing. We just don't have that much control over either what happens or how we feel about it, you know, but we can know it. And in that knowing, in knowing it, we're not denying it, so we're not adding that pressure of this is something unacceptable to be felt and seen. It can be seen. It's what's happening. But we don't have to fix it and struggle with it and change it. That's a very... uh, It's a very wise attitude. Yeah. And it's often a gift to other people, even though it's so intangible, just that space, that non-reactivity. You know, when when a group of people are involved and there are difficult emotions flying all around, just someone who can just kind of hold the space, you know, without knowing, without knowing what to do, without adding yet one more trying to make something happen but you know someone who's just there it is can be helpful Um, I really appreciated your um, brief story about staying with the positive feeling Uh Um, I don't think I do that often in any version of my life, either practice or otherwise, but but it reminded me also of oh, one of the uh, guides on the CD that's available free out here, um, in which he suggests that I make friends with my breath, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought that was such a remarkable idea because it seemed to take away a lot of struggle. Mm-hmm. from being mindful of breathing. Yeah, right. That's great. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, anything that, that brings a kind of relaxed heart, that's kind of what I was talking about, bringing the heart into it. Friendliness is a good word, because even when I say bring the heart into it, you can think you need to have some dramatic uh, feeling, but just friendly, you know, just, okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Enjoyed most of what I heard. What you said, a oh. hearing problem and a listening problem. But the one thing that I got was uh, my gift has been uh, to know that I don't know. Yes. And uh, and going further with that in learning breathing, <clears throat> to know I don't know. But as I'm learning the breathing, and what you said something there about uh, <laughs> can't remember what it. Well, you don't have to worry about it because you're breathing or something to that effect. But as I've learned the breathing thing, 
I'm becoming aware of, especially in my toes, uh-huh. that there's a kind of a stiffness. Uh-huh. There, there's things that I don't want to know that are coming up. And then as you were saying, you to know, to know, know that you know, it, it's uh, bringing something alive in me that I don't know uh-huh. <laughs> yet. Yeah. But I, I want to be open to uh-huh. That's the, great. The, yeah. Whatever, whether it's knowledge or wisdom, or be be aware and awake. Awake. Uh huh. Right. This awakening process can be very painful. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. That's true. I love that. Thank you. That knowing that you don't know. Yeah. That's something we're pretty uncomfortable with. Sometimes is not knowing, you know, and getting getting to where you can rest in the knowing that you don't know, can help with a kind of anxious grasping after trying to figure everything out or you know and be open to that there's still things to learn you know there's I love the fact that I don't know whole areas of my body because I so much enjoy learning what's going on so oh okay you know there's there's plenty plenty more to learn Well, I've been, um, because of back problem, I've been trying to change the way that I walk. And um, if I take a long walk, I'm very, I start out, I'm very, you know, in other words, my purpose is sort of to walk two blocks or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll notice, but it's much harder in the house walking just that short way to be present. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it's so difficult to be present moment to moment. <laughs> yeah. It is difficult. It is. It is. And daily life practice is a real challenge, you know. It, it's, but it, you know, slowly you can, you know, you can chip away at it. And, you know, you can use something like this as a motivator for, you know, taking walking, becoming more aware of walking. You know, it's it's well worth it. You know, there are all kinds of suggestions, putting little stickers around your house, you know, wake up or, you know, something, put them on your shoes if you put your shoes on, you know. Anything you can do that, to just remind you to connect because every moment that you connect and the more clearly that you connect, it really works in a, quite a mysterious way to to make a really explicit intention to stay, to connect in that way. You know, like this thing I talked about with happiness. I had really clearly made a, a kind of a resolution that I want to notice happiness. And then, you know, it was probably a day later, but it popped up. You know, so so when you find yourself here or, or at home or somewhere, when you find yourself in a moment of clarity, just really intend clearly that this, oh, this is clarity and this is what I'm cultivating in my life. And may I wake up more often. May may this quality arise more often and just by highlighting it like that I don't know what we're doing in our brains you know putting little chemical messages on it somehow but we're saying this is something that I want to remember to do and tying a little string on some mental finger and it it, it helps you know next time you get even near that state you might remember that this is something I really wanted to do so you can you can train your mind slowly
So we sit for another couple of minutes.
Thank you for your comments.